Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right, and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. It is Testimony Tuesday one more time, and we are here with a very special guest, and I'm very pleased to welcome to, for the first time, to our podcast, Pastor Dave Johnson. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's a privilege <laughs> to be here. Thanks I'm for here. Uh, taking the time. So we have you in for Revival, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time not only to preach a bunch of awesome sermons and uh, and hang out with me and give me some wisdom and inspiration, but also to speak to our podcast audience and share your testimony with us. So thanks for your time. Yeah, again, it's always a joy to have an opportunity to share what Jesus has done in my life. And uh, being an evangelist, uh, you know, the privilege to be able to travel, to go anywhere, uh, just to be able to share the love of God. And uh, each and every individual's testimony, I believe, is very unique, very, very different. And uh, uh, it's part of what we're called to do. Amen. That's right. So um, for for those who may not know you, uh, why don't you tell, just give us the brief bio of uh, of, of uh, your your experience? Well, of course, uh, 1979 I was a young airman stationed uh, on the east part of the Phoenix Valley in a, a smaller air base called Williams Air Force Base, and uh, uh, came into the church. Uh, I'd already been saved just for a very short period of time. Uh, the congregation at that time was probably just a little over a dozen or so people uh, meeting in a uh, uh, what was once a hot dog stand, very small uh, facility that was there right across from the uh, the high school at that time. And uh, hadn't had any thoughts of ministry or anything like that, just trying to put my life together, trying to make sense of uh, uh, our experiences and trying to just discover who Jesus was. And so for those who uh, heard the, the, the testimony with uh, Mr. George Rose, uh, would have been a couple of weeks ago by the time this releases, um, what, was that about the same time when you came in? Uh, George, dear friend of mine, uh, family very dear uh, to Angie, my wife, myself as, as well, uh, when we came into the church, he had already received orders and was uh, serving in the Air Force in California at that time. So I didn't meet George until a couple of years later when he uh, uh, had left the Air Force and returned to Chandler. Okay, okay. Okay, well, um, uh, why don't you uh, inform us on your background, how you grew up, what was your family life like? Well, uh of course, I grew up in a very rural area in uh, North Dakota, which is uh, a few hours from the Canadian border. 
small community that at its zenith uh, was probably 1,300 people or so uh, called Garrison on the north shore of Lake Sakakawea. Um, of course, growing up in that kind of arena is very different than those who are in a more urban area. Uh, I didn't have all the noise of traffic and things like that. Uh, uh, I was always very fascinated just with the, uh, uh, I guess, the flora, the fauna, some people would say, but just all of the different animals uh, uh, that were around. My mother was a had been a school teacher and uh, very knowledgeable of the things that uh, were around me. And so uh, I do find that uh, growing up on a farm, I think, is somewhat of an advantage in some ways. Uh, socially, maybe a little bit of a handicap. We were very isolated to a great degree, weren't around uh, large groups of people. Uh, and so in those kind of in environments or situations, sometimes you feel very awkward in, in groups of people. And uh, so when I uh, were in groups of people or whatever, it uh, was difficult for me to communicate. And uh, I think that kind of lent itself to my future uh, experiences, you know, whether it was with alcohol or e even drugs. My parents were very good, very moral people. I shared with you uh, the other day uh, my father having been a foster child uh, during a time where the foster care system was tantamount to child slavery to mm. some degree and uh, not a lot of good experiences on his part. But uh, he had chosen at a very young age to uh, believe the Bible and uh, taught me a lot of things about uh, God being a father to the fatherless and uh, uh, actually was laying somewhat of a foundation of my belief that there is a God who does care about people. Uh, my teen years, of course, is uh, uh, spending a lot of uh, time working uh, that area uh, of the Midwest. Uh, the work hard, play hard ethic is something that uh, often can be somewhat destructive as mm -hmm. well. You spend a lot of hours out in the field or working with uh, animals and things of that nature, but then uh, being turned loose. Uh, the availability of alcohol was uh, uh, easily accessible to me even at a very early age, and I want to punctuate the understanding is that my parents were very good moral people. They attended church regularly. They didn't drink. They didn't smoke. We didn't keep alcohol in the house. And so they set a very good example. Uh, but that didn't uh, prevent me from having access uh, to things that uh, as early as the fifth grade, I found myself uh, uh, friends whose parents had liquor cabinets and things like that. We found ways of siphoning off, wow. you know, uh, uh, alcohol and taking it to school and uh, to events. And eventually, by the time I was in junior high, I was probably uh, getting drunk once, twice a week uh, on a very regular basis. Wow. And uh, the uh, uh, 
that sense of awkwardness that I'd had in, in being group in groups of people. I found that uh, if I was drinking, had a beer in my hand, or uh, smoking something or whatever, is that it eased some of those uh, fears or stress. And of course, it became very habitual mm -hmm. in itself. And uh, uh, it, of course, created opportunities where you're in a company of young girls as well. And uh, uh, I found myself, of course, uh, uh, being sexually active at a very young age also, and uh, uh, these things kind of culminated in into some difficulties, you know, uh, later in my life. You don't think about the consequences of the choices that you're making, you know, often when you're that age, and how it can complicate things, uh, uh, bring shame, bring a, a weight of guilt, and you're just trying to have fun. Mm. And uh, I know with I and my friends, a lot of things that we did was never malicious or anything like that. Uh, but it was just a form of escapism in itself. And uh, all the years that I uh, spent, whether it was on a tractor or whatever, uh, seemed to be a turning point uh, in my life when I, uh, uh, my father had purchased a tractor with an air-conditioned cab that had an AM-FM radio. and. So that was a big change from all of the noise that, uh, you know, I was accustomed to with the, the other implements and uh, uh, trucks and tractors, et cetera. And so I was able to listen to baseball and uh, uh, the music, of course, of my generation and sing along. And that began to develop, I guess, a uh, affinity for music because it was a pleasant respite from all of the the noise, or maybe even at times, even the the silence, mm -hmm. you know, of being uh, out on a farm uh, in itself, and so uh, began singing. Uh, people began to take notice at times, and uh, began to get involved in not only the uh, school music in itself, but even outside of school. Uh, I played saxophone. Uh, uh, I began to focus some efforts on those things because it began to get me some attention mm -hmm. and then uh, began to be asked to be uh, or, or to sing for special events, things like that, eventually weddings and uh, didn't think much of it. It was just kind of fun. It was something that was uh, unique. It was taking me places that uh, uh, education wasn't per se. Right. And uh, eventually it blossomed into uh, traveling different parts of the U.S. and uh, uh, music groups, jazz ensembles, uh, singing groups, etc. Uh, again, into Canada, kind of culminating in a state-sponsored uh, group that took us international as well, and uh, even some competitions that drew the attention of uh, some celebrities at that time. And... Uh, Angie Dickinson was a actress that had gained some popularity uh, uh, during the 70s and 80s. Movie star, as it were, was uh, married to a songwriter, Burt Backrack, at that time. Uh, she had been a guest judge at a uh, competition, state competition performance uh, that was there, and uh, uh, they had extended an invitation. Uh, 
for furthering my education in music to Berkeley College of Music at that time. And uh, a lot of people seem to think that, you know, I had a, uh, a future ahead of me in the entertainment business, you know, in some way. And uh, that was a lot, of course, for me to process yeah. as, you know, 17-year-old kid. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, with, with a, some measure of success and some attention that you're getting, um, what was the condition of uh, of your heart? Like, you, you mentioned how you would find escapism in alcohol. Well, did that continue during this time? or? or well, you... actually, it kind of fueled some of that because now I'm spending larger volumes of ta- uh, time without having adult supervision. Mm-hmm. Or the adult supervision that I have is not necessarily good examples, people who are providing uh, access to alcohol and uh, even discovering places, places where we would go and uh, where I would perform where uh, drinking age is 21, but yet I'm a teenager that's in there, yet they're providing drinks for me because I'm with a band, right? you, you right. know, and, uh, uh, and so it was a whole different culture than my parents, uh, the farm itself. Right. Uh, Certainly very different, even from the disciplines of school. The things that are common, again, as a as a teen is growing. And so I'm thrust into somewhat of an adult atmosphere mm-hmm. uh, in, that, in that situation. Uh, Angie, I've known her since she was 14 years old. I was 16 years old. And so we were both kind of caught up, you know, in in, uh, some of these circumstances in itself. And we found ourselves clinging to each other. You know, uh, I believe that our our love, our passion for each other was very real. um, But yet we had no idea where these things were leading, where Mm -hmm. it was taking us. Um, uh, I, I want to interject one question there, and, and that is, uh, you mentioned that you were raised in a very moral atmosphere, your parents, good Christian people. Um, do you ever remember having like a spiritual experience with, with God or having having a, a revelation of any kind as growing up? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, even with the religious instruction, uh you know, of course, even singing in the church choir right. and things like that. Uh, I and another young lady who was a classmate of mine that uh, in the pastor's absence in the Lutheran congregation uh, that we were in, we were frequently asked to fill in the church services. And uh, the first time that I was asked to do so, actually to preach a sermon, as it were, I well, does that mean I have to come up with something to say? And the, the pastor's response, oh, heavens, no. <laughs> it's all written in a book. Yeah, it's a liturgy. And so the yeah. liturgy yeah. was there, the book was there, and so essentially I just had to read it. Yeah. And again, some of the uh, the unusual things, and my parents, and, and again, even with all the good people that I knew in the Lutheran congregation that was there, and I'm sure in many congregations around the world, that, uh, you know, even in the church choir that I sang in and people that were in the church, some of these people were the same individuals who would purchase liquor for me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, cre- create, again, the the confusion. So right. I wouldn't say that I had 
a great revelation of who Jesus was. I believed the things that I'd been taught as, mm-hmm. as a youth. Uh, um, I do believe that God saved me from circumstances uh, because of the amount of alcohol that we consumed. I and my friends, even my brothers as well, a uh, number of car accidents that I was in that I survived and uh, even my older siblings, you know, often made reference, you got away with everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my response was simply is that, well, you wore mom and dad out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, parents struggle with, uh, you know, how to raise a child. And, and uh, I. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Of course, came along at a time my mother was uh, nearly 40 years old when she had me. Uh, probably didn't have the energy to keep up with me. Uh, and it was easier for them perhaps just to let me run mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, had a driving uh, driver's license with the farmer's permit at 14 years old. And so uh, when we weren't working, I pretty much had the run of the county mm. and stuff, motorcycle right. uh, also. And uh, uh, so I had a lot of latitude to go places to do things that I think a lot of uh, other kids my age didn't have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, it affected my studies, uh, uh, even though I made the honor roll a number of times in uh, – when I was trying to uh, apply myself a little bit harder, I didn't find any sense of reward or attention mm-hmm. in uh, doing well in school. And that's where the outlet of music seemed to be uh, something that I f- grew very fond of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've made mention at times, and uh, again, I, I don't want to give the the interpretation that I was, uh, uh, you know, some kind of upcoming uh, star or something like that. But I did have those unusual experiences where you have young girls and individuals who uh, 
uh, come and they want you to sign autographs and things like that. And uh, uh, it's a pretty heady thing when you're just a kid who grew no up in an isolated situation. Yeah. And uh, there were times that we performed before uh, thousands of people. Uh, probably the largest uh, performance was in Oslo, Norway, actually, some over 10,000 people that had attended there. And, uh, and so you get a taste of some of that and you think perhaps this is your future right and uh, where could this possibly lead mm -hmm. and i remember uh, being with a group of young people uh in one of those trips you know and we are watching the midnight sun drinking moonshine and <laughs> smoking marijuana and i'm thinking that i've arrived yeah 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 <laughs> in in some way but yet having no inkling uh, whatsoever of where uh, the brokenness mm -hmm. that uh, lies in the very near future. Uh, going back to uh, the offer, the opportunity for uh, a celebrity and, and uh, uh, people who were known in the music business, Burt Bacharach, again, a songwriter, many hit records and in stuff, uh, offering the opportunity at a music education. I can't say or, or that I was up for that. I, I don't know that, but uh, uh, it was during that time where this is what was being discussed uh, between my parents and uh, others that were in the community that wanted to provide funding and resources. And uh, uh, it was then that... Uh, my high school sweetheart, Angie, she was the jeweler's daughter, uh, became pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, during that time, uh, teenage pregnancy wasn't uh, near as frequent or a part of culture as we know it's become very commonplace now. Right. And especially in a small rural community. Right. And... Uh, uh, the impact that it had on our family, the impact in the community, uh, the things that people began to say and whisper, uh, the effect that it had on my, uh, uh, the, on Angie, my, my future wife's family. Uh, all these put a tremendous strain on us, right. on the relationships that were there, uh, the way faculty viewed me, uh, business people in the community. I say a small community, right. even to the point that I had friends, close friends, that many of them that I grew up with since first grade, who told me that once I did join the military, they uh, told me, don't ever come back here. And they meant so compassionately. Mm, <laughs> mm, yeah. be just because they, they said it would be difficult for you and for Angie to have a life Oh, here. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of people perhaps have a difficult time wrapping their mind around those things, but small towns, small town communities, it can be very brutal, sure. you know, in, in some aspects uh, concerning that. Uh, so, again, it was during that season where my dad pulled me aside. And, of course, he's angry at the circumstances. He's tried to set a good example. He's allowed me some opportunities that uh, my siblings never had with the hope that I would have been responsible enough to handle it. 
Uh, and so his counsel at that time is you need to join the military. Forget mm. about your music. Forget about those things. You need to join the military. That will make a man out of you. Mm-hmm. And so he withdrew his support, okay. which he was supposed to sign some documents, different things, uh, financial uh, uh, things that would determine what kind of funding and things that I would receive. And uh, that's when I signed up to join the Air Force. Air to Force. Assume, to assume my responsibility as a father, mm-hmm. uh, to put myself in a position to earn my uh future in-laws trust okay and uh so one week after my high school graduation i was in air force boot camp wow and so uh, the military will change your life true change your appearance uh change your view on authority uh and so it did change aspects of my life uh brought in a regular income uh angie and i got married uh, shortly after I finished my basic training and had gotten into uh, my uh, Air Force uh, technical training in itself. And so, but it was uh, shortly after the birth of our first daughter, Jessica, that uh, was determined that she was born with a congenital birth disease mm. uh, called hydrocephalus. A lot of people know it as water on the brain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, a very difficult set of circumstances. And for a young couple struggling to make things work, uh, trying to hammer out other relationship issues and uh, uh, a lot of things on our plate for for a young couple. No kidding. Um, And uh, so there were times when when it became evident that Jessica was in a lot of pain, unable to sleep, mm. difficult even for her to eat. Uh, for those who experience migraines or headaches, uh, might have some sense of what an infant perhaps is having to wrestle with mm. in that. And so when when we uh, uh, had the uh, condition diagnosed, uh, there were some surgeries that were performed at Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center in the uh, Colorado Aurora uh, area, uh, Angie and I were reunited for brief periods of time during the uh, uh, those operations, etc. And that was she still living some... in North Dakota at the time. Yes, okay. she was uh, completing her school since she was a couple years younger than I was. Uh, she uh, uh, completed her junior year through correspondence, skipped a year uh, in school itself, and then. Uh, while I was still going through training, waiting for my orders uh, for my first permanent duty station, uh, she was completing her senior year gotcha. at that time so that she could join me later. And so she's got this uh, this little, little baby with health problems yep. at the same time that you're going through all of this. That's got to put a lot of strain on a relationship. Yeah, it was it was very difficult. And, of course, when you're young, you're separated. This is your first time in your life that you're distant from everything that you know and love, everything that you're familiar with. You're thrust into groups of people uh, so different mm-hmm. than you. Right. And uh, I'm meeting people from the big city, New York City, Philadelphia, right. points beyond, even foreigners that have right. joined the uh, 
uh, U.S. Air Force. And uh, so it's, it's a cultural shift in itself. Um, uh, it's fascinating to some degree, but at the same time, you know you have to get through this training. Right. You don't want to wash out. Right. Uh, you, you need to complete it. And, uh, and so eventually I did so. I did so successfully and uh, uh, got my orders to Williams Air Force Base. So uh, with, with the stress that you were facing of a new family, uh, a child that was serious health problems, a new career, and dealing with all of these changes all of a sudden, what, what, did you find that your, that your, um, your alcohol uh, coping mechanism was any better or worse? Well, when you go through basic training, you don't have access to any of that stuff. You know, uh, cigarettes are available, and that's pretty much it. But once you complete your basic training, you're in a much uh, more liberal uh, arena or environment. You, you are responsible for yourself. Uh, you're in a dormitory situation yet, but yet you are... Uh, allowed opportunity to go off base and mm -hmm. things like that and so the moment that those opportunities presented themselves uh, uh, it was just a matter of time before you were finding alcohol of course at that time there were in Colorado the laws were a little different they had three two bars and stuff like that uh, you know and so of course we would purchase harder alcohol and add it to our other drinks and stuff like that, and and uh, uh, eventually, just through the right connections, you meet people and uh, you find ways of procuring other types of drugs as well. Mm. And that actually kind of began to escalate my experimentation because now I'm away from uh, you know family and friends. My wife isn't there either, right, right. and. Uh, uh, and so you look for opportunities to blow off steam, to do uh, things. And so in, in a way as well, it's a form of self-medication. Right, <laughs> you know? right. You've got all these responsibilities on your shoulder, and you just want to be able to forget about it for a while. Yeah. And so uh, that social climate uh, began to add to some of the difficulties and yeah. problems that I had. Okay. So spiritually, did you, did you have any... Um... Did you have any sense of conviction or, or uh, impending doom? I, you know, I, I hear uh, I never had the uh, terrible experience of being um, uh, involved in alcohol or drugs like that. But from people who that I've spoken to, they, they say that, you know, deep down they know that what they're doing is, is not right. And there's like a, a compounding effect of, of guilt or something. Did, did you ex experience any of that? It's interesting that you mentioned that. You know, I, th I think a lot of times we go through life, we've been saved. God's touched our lives, and uh, uh, sometimes it takes some effort to th go back and to rethink just what we were going through and right. what we were processing. And I distinctly remember times, even before I joined the military, where it would dawn on me that you deserve hell for mm. this. Right. My sexual activity, you know, the, the drugs, the connections that I had, some of the seedy characters, you know, they were so different from, again, the good examples that were in my life. Right. And 
you kind of sense that darkness, I, I guess, is the only way I can describe it, that you're involved in something that's not legal. Right. Even in civil society. Right. So you got your you're always looking over your shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And so uh, one of the things that uh, does come to mind is that you're creating this double life right in that uh, I know how to be polite I know how to be kind I know how to speak in civil society I know how to be uh, to carry myself I've, right. I've learned some of those those things but there's another life right. that I have whether it's the nightlife or the Others that I'm procuring drugs or drinking with, uh, the dance floors and things like that. Uh, uh, you know, you're leading a dual, mm -hmm. a dual life, mm -hmm. uh, and then getting back even to the military, trying to perform, uh, trying to excel. Right. You know, you don't want to. Uh, uh, be the last man on the totem pole. There's a very competitive atmosphere mm -hmm. in that as well. And I'd grown up competitive right. in, in a lot of ways. And uh, so even when I got to my permanent duty station, uh, essentially I assigned to a crew. I worked in the aircraft weapons and stuff. And, uh, and so even in spite of my drug use and alcohol, we, even when we... Uh, Crews would go out, and we're, we're handling armaments on planes and things like that, things that a lot of people would consider having some element of danger. Uh, because we were familiar with it and we were trained, we didn't think of it as being anything really to worry about, per se. Right. But, but we would use those opportunities away from the shop to get high before we performed our jobs oh and stuff as well. And uh, but yet, in the midst of all of that confusion, uh, I found myself actually being selected and uh, to do a training film for Northrop Industries, and uh, uh, and that put me into another uh, arena as well, where I actually uh, inhabited a training position where we trained uh, uh, airmen that were coming in to work on the aircraft uh, that was assigned to that squadron. And uh, quality control, and uh, basically in uh, a, a position of authority, I think that I probably didn't deserve in okay. a sense. Right. Um, selected for below the zone promotion. Um, um, it, again, it's just uh, unusual thing. I, all the time that I'm going through all this, it's just I hope they never find out what right. I'm doing right. when I'm not at work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because I knew that that would be devastating in, in a lot of ways. Okay. If you want to hear the rest of this testimony, we have a premium version of, this, of the uh, podcast that's going to continue, and uh, we'll go ahead and record that second part. I hope they listen. Yeah, because there's a lot more to tell. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.